2: Content warning.
0: This episode will discuss a lot of heavy
2: topics such as homicide and addiction. Please be kind to yourself. Prepare yourself with before and/or after care. And remember: if you or a loved one is going through it, you can call the National Addiction Helpline at 1-844-289-0879 or dial 988 for the Crisis
3: Lifeline. Thank you. Join us to explore the, the stories, stories, policies, policies practices, practices, and ideas and say, of the new Survivors movement. This is Survivors, Survivors Hills, Hills, Hills with your host, Oya, Oya L. Sherell
2: welcome welcome good people this is episode 10 of the survivors heal podcast and i'm your host oya l shirels this conversation is one for the change makers i am joined by three giants in the movement as we discuss what it takes to get the work done take a listen welcome 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 good people i am sitting in the room with so much greatness right now. Y'all don't even understand. Y'all don't even understand who's in the room right now with me, okay? These are the pioneers, The I mean the royalty, I'm gonna say, in my humble perspective, this is the royalty of what I call the New Survivors Movement. And I would like each person to introduce yourselves though and um, say what organization you work with And your position in the organization. We can move from our left, because that's our heart center. Oh, right,
4: all right. Get deep Mm -hmm. with it off the top. But, Mm -hmm. hey, everyone, hi. Uh, It is I, David Guizar, G-U-I-Z-A-R. I I work with Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, a founding member of CSSJ. And uh, currently, I hold uh, the role, that seat of responsibility, as a chapter engagement and training manager. What's, what's up? Hello.
5: Good morning. My name is Adela Barajas, and I am the founder of Laura Life After Uncivil Ruthless Acts, and also part of CSSJ. Somehow, I am a co-founder of CSSJ, and going to the left.
6: Greetings, uh, everybody. I'm Akil Bashir. I'm the founder of PCITI International, the BUILD program, uh, California LA Peace Builders Collective, and uh, part of CSSJ as a member, and uh, honored to be here.
2: Well, thank you all so much for joining me on this very fine Sunday afternoon. So I want to just kind of jump right in and ask that you all share just as organically as you can uh, just with a spirit of openness but also we don't necessarily have to go in any particular order or structure. What brought you to do work in the Survivors Movement?
5: What brought me to this movement was Laura Sanchez. My sister-in-law was murdered March 18, 2007. Nine years prior to her being murdered, her mom was murdered, so both of them being innocent bystanders of drive-by shootings in South Central Los Angeles. The youth in our family wanted something to be done, so they looked at me and said, we need to do something. This cannot just keep going. At the time, there was a lot of talk about, you know, black and brown going at each other in our community. So I guess as a family member, as a, I don't want to say community leader at the time, but had been involved as a young person in and, and young politics. I said, okay. So I gave them a task. I said, you go find out who are the politicians in this area right now, and then we'll do something. At that time, a um, news reporter was there. He's like, do you guys wanna say something? We're like, no. And she's like, you know, just to let you know, there's only a, a, an opening when the news are here, and that's your window of opportunity. If you want to say something, do it now, because we will be gone in a week, and that will be all. So, um, we did. That was the reason how we started the work.
2: And what is it that has allowed you to stay passionate about doing the work?
5: Um, The lack of Latino representation. Mm. So, started doing the work, then started going to a lot of meetings, and having the four kids that she had and going to their schools and seeing the lack of respect from the school administration towards the kids or letting them know that their mother had been killed and the lack of emotion involved or the empathy that they had towards a mother going or an aunt going there. The administration, you know, addressing me like, I'll be there, Mom when I had my, my niece next to me, or knowing the differences that my nephew being in Wilson High, where the principal came and addressed me, because they all, I had already called prior to them picking up homework with them. When I went to the local schools from Jefferson High School, and I wanted to speak to the counselor, and she said, I'll be there, Mom, twice. And then I said, mm-hmm. once I got into her office, and I said, you know, you keep addressing me as her mom. She's mm. my niece, and I'm here because her mother's been murdered. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I understand. My mom just died. <laughs> 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 and she still didn't get it. So, you know, little things like this just make me realize there's a, a void that needs to be filled. And, you know, dealing with the funeral homes and the cemeteries, and seeing how they are more of a business than assistance for families. Mm. That was another thing. Or people, when they saw the news playing over and over again, once they did go public with the news, people taking advantage and coming and saying, oh, you know, we're from this office or we're from that office, just trying, taking advantage of the pain Mm. to get their own story out
2: there. Mm that is what made me get involved. Thank you, Adela. I mean, definitely, I feel like there has been this theme in this movement of the lack of just care and gentleness that a lot of the institutions have with our communities, especially in the, in the wake of grief. But you've also been at the forefront of changing that. That's right. <laughs> so David, you want to jump in here?
4: Yep, yep, for sure. Uh, thank you, Adela, and um, definitely an honor to be in this space, you know, with with Akil and yourself and Adela. You know, that conversation around um, what brings me to the work is uh, the unfortunate tragedies of, you know, within my family and stuff. Uh, you know, my brother Oscar was murdered in 1983, and and I don't think that, you know, that the trauma or even us as a family recognized you know what was happening. You know, like day to day, right? Uh, for me personally, just just being in, in like in a silo and dealing with my own experience of of losing my brother was was something that that I um, dealt with, but not really pinpointing and even understanding what was happening, right? Like, like it was life, you know. And it was until about 2012 when when Akila you know, was a part of um, what is now Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice and they were forming a, a leadership group to participate in in really igniting a conversation and, you know, moving forward with possible, like, policies and things like that, right, that that would support survivors, victims uh, of crime. And at the time, it was my brother Oscar's story, and it, and it really brought it front and center, you know, because most of the time— in my previous years being involved in, in like, you know, community service and things, it would come up like, oh, I'm I'm moving away from, from the street life and this and that. I lost a brother. And this is kind of like one of the things that I don't want, you know, to repeat. So I was, you know, I was kind of like dancing around what, what really happened and what was missing for me and my family. Right. And, but not really knowing how to pinpoint it. You know, there was people that that were beginning to talk about like, Post-traumatic stress disorder and and how, you know, what we were living at the street level was like really like warlike conditions and things like that. So the, the conversation was kind of like surfacing, but no one really had, you know, the quantitative, qualitative measures around it. And it was like to a lot of people, like it's just people killing each other. It's gangbanging. is this. It's that. Right. But not really looking at the bigger picture. so. When I made that commitment to be a part of that first retreat, um, I think it was like during the summer and, and uh, beginning of summer and uh, within like 90 days or something like that, I, I got this phone call from my brother Gilbert's wife. And, uh, you know, my brother had been shot, my brother Gilbert, and, and he didn't make it. And and that was kind of like just like, wow, you know, it was really heartbreaking. And, you know, for a lot of years I ran from the trauma of losing my brother, Oscar, and just using a lot of drugs and alcohol and, you know, being homeless at one point, like from the drug addiction and and all of that stuff, and and then perpetrating violence on two others, too, like, you know, for a period of time until I realized I was repeating that cycle of violence. So six years into my sobriety is when my brother Gilbert was murdered, and I think because— the gratitude that I have to creator for allowing me to think a little bit clearer about what had happened to my brother, I committed myself to finding a solution, right? Like the solution was immediate. My mom wanted someone arrested, you know, for what happened to my brother. That was that was kind of like the thing that did not happen with my brother Oscar, where there was an arrest or that type of closure, right? So there was like these basic things, right? Like that that are oftentimes left out of the narrative and and uh, so it was really, it's really my motivation to this day is, you know, a call to real health access, right? Like trauma is not just like mental health, like this bad memory or this bad mm-hmm. thought that sneaks up. It's also the, how it impacts our health. Like I saw my mom's health just go, you know, and, and all the way to her last breath, it was really heartbreaking to to know that a lot of it was related to losing her two sons. You know, the call for trauma recovery, that that we do have that element, you know, for for people to be able to have a space to talk about the incident, to work through what's, you know, appropriate for that individual, right? Substance abuse uh, treatment is also critical, a calling that I that is very personal to me. You know, now being 16 years sober, you know, 10 years in the aftermath of losing my brother Gilbert, I've been able to maintain you know, that level of um, at least integrity within that, right? And working through a whole lot of other elements that came up in this journey. So it's, it's a day-to-day thing, you know, having access to affordable housing, you know, quality education. Like these are all things that that in one way or another I've touched through my journey of first losing my brother Oscar to then losing my brother Gilbert. And they, day-to-day, you know, it, these things sneak up, you know, the, the trauma. So just having access um, it's a lifelong journey uh, that, that I know is going to be required on my part, you know?
2: Absolutely. And I think we're going to get more into, like, um, some of those key resources that you touched on and talked about that can lead to people taking that, that healing journey. Commander, huh. it's on you. So, <laughs> again, what brought you to the movement for survivors and um, what keeps you passionate?
6: Well, let me honor the room and the uh, three generals in the room. Do I have your permission to speak?
2: Mm. Absolutely. Um,
6: I wish I could say it was one thing that uh, brought me into this work. Uh, I've always been a radical advocate, uh, revolutionary in terms of uh, my thinking process, uh, understanding my value, etc. But there was an accumulation of uh, situations, both in my personal family as well as outside, In the circles that I ran in, a lot of blood on my hands from a whole lot of engagements, et cetera. If I would say what was the main motivator, it was my own trauma and the inability to have the systems and processes in place to know how to navigate what I was going through uh, as opposed to uh, the ability to help anybody else. So because I had to navigate uh, my own traumas, uh, which were extremely comprehensive and deep, uh, knowing what it took me to find some degree of balance I thought about the other people, and at that time I was uh, clearly in a movement of serving. I said, how can we truly serve the uh, people if the story that they have bought into and in their normalities create no hope? You know, we got to remember at the end of the day what hope really is. Um, hope is an expected end. Hope means that people have an expectation that there will be an end point of something uh, that they're hoping for. Uh, So dealing with those traumas, uh, not having the capacity to engage... I didn't want the people to feel the pain that I knew I was feeling uh, at that time uh, each time I had uh, uh, one of these traumas come up and uh, side-whack me, et cetera. Uh, that moved on into something more important, uh, not uh, externally, uh, knowing that you create uh, temporary stability in the moment, but you have to anchor people. So with that being said, hence the birth of the movement, Mm. uh, we had to create the kind of uh, roadmaps, the kind of infrastructure that gave people the ability not only to deal with where they were at in the moment, but to be able to create a degree of wellness and then to be able to go out front uh, beforehand thinking and see uh, what those triggers were that caused them to be uh, in the situation they were in, etc., moving through that, that still wasn't enough. I could balance you individually, but if I don't create the capacity to deal with the systemic injustices that uh, are part of the internal environment or external environment that that individual is in, what have I truly done? If I can't deal with the uh, geographical nexus that the person operates from, if I can't deal with the psychological redirection, if I can't deal with the capacity for those individuals to economically survive, etc., uh, I can. Heal Heal you all I want in the moment but you're going to go back to that reciprocal cycle because we have not dealt with those fundamental root causes so hence one of the things that has kept me in the movement for so long is making sure that my reasons uh, have been strong enough to keep me in the game and my reasons for getting in the game was to create the type of foundational network or structure which was going to give the capacity of or to give capacity of those individuals to heal themselves and we have not arrived there yet. Mm. So because we haven't arrived because we haven't given that foundation, my reasons are pushing me to stay in the work and at the end of the day creating and leaving, it's me and Dave we're talking about earlier, the type of successionary uh, componentry uh, that's going to give those people coming behind us the capacity to do better than what we've did with this work. Those of us that are healers, those of us that uh, are movers, those of us that uh, are are temporary leaders have to realize if we're not putting in place foundationally those tools, those individuals that are going to replace us, we have done a disservice to the work, to ourselves, and to what we say uh, the movement is and who we're trying to serve. So I'll leave it at that.
5: Mm. Yes. <laughs> just yes. speaking truth yes man okay I'm already tired <laughs> <laughs> just gave us a lot of homework
2: <laughs> right for real just like laid off the whole blueprint like if you are thinking about getting into this work into this movement ain't no game ain't no game <laughs> ain't and no game. there is there are things that you have to understand about one preparing for the next generation but also like uh, being clear all the way through about what your reasons are right. Yes, and hold that thought we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors
1: So, mark your calendar this Thursday, May 9th, for the Knicks anniversary sale. Get 30% off all leak proof underwear, shapewear, activewear, and more. It only happens once a year at knicks.com. That's K N I X.com. Don't miss this.
3: The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waith. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift. And danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry.
2: So um, one of the things that um, I also wanted to kind of touch on are training opportunities, right? So like um, a lot of people who are thinking, a lot of young people who are touched by the kind of work that we do, they want to know like how do they get started? Like what trainings are available? I know that there is like now there's a National Office for Victims of Crime and they have a training and technical assistance center and they do things like an effective management series, and they have a National Victim Assistance Academy. And so they offer a lot of different kinds of trainings for people who are just beginning to serve survivors of crime to get into this work. But there's a lot of training that is available and that's very specific to serving communities like ours black and brown communities Mm. urban communities communities that have to deal with like the intersections you know Mm. (laughs) of different kinds of violence not just the violence not just the personal violence but the institutional violence and the systemic violence so i was just wondering because i know i have i'm i'm You guys, I'm I'm sitting in a room full of trainers, okay? So I was just wondering, what trainings do you guys feel like are the most important? And so what's necessary for people who are looking to get into this movement? And what's necessary for training, but also like what are the elements in the trainings that make it necessary?
5: I would like the trainer to speak on the training.
6: <laughs> well, when you talk about training, I think we get confused. There, there are some outstanding components. Uh, some of those components uh, are individuals who are at this table. But I think we confuse training with education time and time again. Mm. Mm. Education gives us broader concepts, gives us broader vision, and gives us information. Trainings are situationally specific. They mm. give us rules and twos. They give us the capacity to engage and change behavior. When you look at behavior modification, probably the most major component that uh, moves or the calculus of, of true behavioral change is training. Now, what type of training? Far too often, <laughs> trainers will come in with their perspective. Uh, those individuals who truly train know they have to establish the need of the people they're attempting to move. So that type of training um, takes, number one, uh, landscape analysis. What are your people up against? What are they going through? What are they uh, engaged with? And you've got to get that from them. They've got to be inclusionary in the voice process. Secondly, you build out a system based on need, not your need and not your perception, but the needs of those people that you are trying to take somewhere. You cannot teach survival training and teach people how to deal with their own grief. A good trainer knows that he or she is going to create tools for those individuals to make the best judgment calls and to move themselves forward. If you're leaning on me, to take you where you need to go, you're really going to be at a deficit. You have to control that narrative. One of the first things I do when I come into a room uh, where I'm training, and I have trained thousands, uh, they are going to draft the roadmap that I'm going to follow. I make sure that they are clear that I am here to assist them to get them where they want to go. They have to know what that target is. They have to know what they're where they're trying to go. Our trainings are holistic. Uh, we know it takes scenario training. It takes a board training. It takes a live training. You've got to hit all those fronts because you don't know where you're going to touch the trigger of the individual. So you want to bring all those dynamics to the table in terms of what you're trying to do. And then um, I, I've got to say this because most of your trainers who know what they do and realize is most trainers teach what they need the most. This is how effective training comes into play. You say, well, okay, I Can you explain that? Yes, I can. <laughs> um, when we train, if we need what we're training to give to other people, we're going to search for the best that we can find. So when we deliver what we're delivering, it's going to be the best that we have to offer. You know, I know my uh, role and why I'm one of the best at it when it comes to saving lives, violence, etc. cetera. There are some other things that I don't do too well, but those things I do extremely well. So because I'm dealing with my own trauma, because I haven't had all the answers, as I alluded to earlier, what I'm attempting to do is to create uh, Create a self mastery where each time I train, I'm bettering myself in my situation as I serve the people. So, this is what's going to make me give the people the best that I got. And as I listen to the people, they are going to help me to devise other systems that I have to create or need to create because remember, I'm trying to heal myself while I'm trying to train them. And that's one of the things that makes a real trainer effective is the people know that you understand their normality. Mm-hmm. They know that, not necessarily understanding where they're at. I'm talking about truly understanding their normality and the mindset. Then two other quick things. Um, when we look at a uh, training, one of the things, if I'm dealing with fractured people, I am trying to interrupt the story that they have bought into that causes them to be handicapped because of their trauma. See, I'm looking to give them the capacity to reinterpret, to change that story uh, to where at the end of the day they can create a different result at the end of the day. I'm looking for them to take ownership. I'm looking for the tools that I bring to the table to be augments and implements of motivation to get them to take control of uh, where they're trying to go. And then lastly, um, again, back to my earlier point, I want my training to anchor the people and give them some reliable templates that if these situations that have triggered them come up again, they have the capacity to look and have protocol, have operational structure in which they can look to and operate from and move the process forward. So at the end of the day, I'm trying to fill their toolbox with as many tools as possible. Uh, I'm trying to give them the capacity with those tools to end up making the best decision and judgment calls on their own so they can take ownership of a process and know they can heal themselves and more importantly, know that they have the capacity to heal others, and let those other people be able to heal others in the process. Mm. I'll leave it at that.
2: It's <laughs> beautiful. Thank you, um, David. Do you want to add in here regarding, like, what is um, what kind of trainings are necessary, and what makes them necessary?
4: Well, you know, the training that I work on, you know, is something that has given me. You know awareness, right? In my own lived experience. So the landscape analysis that that Akil brought up is in relationship to to working with survivors is centered around victim services, right? So victim services and how it integrates systems. So when we talk about the education school district, Did the school district respond to my needs or the needs of my family Mm -hmm. within the incident, right? Um, Immigration, right? We have immigration, there's like U visas and things of that nature, like that system. So if I'm sitting in a room and we're going through it, we're basically discussing how these systems supported you or not supported you. Did they even inform you that you have the right within the quote unquote experience of, of, of having just experienced harm, right? The district attorney's office, law enforcement, whether it's the sheriff or local police department or whatever, you know, they have a lot of the times these resources sit within these systems, these offices, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and so in the context of being a survivor, this is the landscape analysis that we have engaged with with survivors to bring about, one, what it felt like. Oftentimes- people understand clearly that there is a victim compensation that equates to a monetary amount, right? But most of the time, people have walked away, said, if I would have just been treated with dignity, Uh right? If I would have just been treated Uh with respect, that's what has translated so much deeper to me to understand where people have come from. But we do understand that in order to shift... The access to these services, we have to also analyze the budgets within these cities, within these counties, within the states, which primarily go to law enforcement. They go to, you know, tough on crime policies and things of that nature. So in order to re- properly respond and support the members of our communities, and, and each community is different uh, in its makeup and what it's experiencing, the type of harm that it's experiencing, right? And not everyone's going to deal with immigration, right? Because not everyone's in that kind of thing. Not everyone has a child in school or anything like that. And, you know, the the, the ones I like to use is me. Like, being Mm -hmm. 10 years old when my brother was murdered, like, I didn't see anything within the school that I felt I could go to, but then here I am asked to perform, right? Like, I had to (laughs) memorize, like the the states within our country and alphabetical, all these different things while I'm dealing with my oldest brother just being mm-hmm. murdered. And if we have the high, um, you know, the, the ones that are we hear about like Parkland, Parkland shooting in Florida, so unfortunate. I recall the news conferences where they had the governor, they had so-and-so, but they had victim services, administrator, the state being there saying, hey, there's services available to you. When look at when we see Uvalde, where we have a high population of immigrant families, we see all of the things that have come up, way they, the way they even responded to the incident. Post-incident, we have not heard the state's, you know, victim administrator offering. You know, we heard mm-hmm. a lot of people doing car washes, the stuff that we're so used to in our communities. Mm-hmm. Why we started advocating for the the compensation, so many times being disqualified. So it's really boils down to, to that element of feeling good, right? So that's one of the things that I've also learned in being a trainer is that out of these discussions, we could actually walk away with a policy idea that then translates to a policy victory. And we have been able to develop more funding for like trauma recovery centers across the country now within our state of California. But in my research of school shootings, there's a shooting that you probably remember, 49th Street Elementary School, when mm-hmm. there was a sniper-type shooter shooting at little kids, and um, mm-hmm. there was no response of that sort, right? There was a shooting, let's get the kids out. And then a couple of years, I think it was either before or after, there was a young kid in a fifth grade that was so afraid of his parents punishing him, for getting bad grades that when he got dropped at the school, he shot himself, Mm. you know? And the thing is that where's the emergency response? Because we understand now that it's not only us directly impacted as family members, but it's all those people that saw and witnessed what just happened. And Mm -hmm. for it to just be wiped under the rug, swept under the rug, I mean, is, is where the devastation of the intergenerational trauma has occurred, and to Akil, Commander Akil's uh, point, the intergenerational sustainable approach that we need, and mm-hmm. because it, I mean, we're talking about decades and years and yes. years that we have to wipe away, yes. or not wipe away, but remedy, right? Like, yeah. bring solutions to, so that's kind of like my perspective on training and what I've learned from it, right, to, like, really be sensitive to what, what people say and hear and how we're able to support them and in, in advancing their experience to something that we could actually change within the system of how they 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 responded to. It. They they might not get that impact anymore but they're there for a reason. They become leaders yeah. out of their cry for support, you know? Absolutely. Like Vicky you would say get involved by by choice, choice not, not by force.
3: force.
5: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. This is so powerful. To be here is powerful by you two gentlemen and oh yeah. This morning, I was thinking, like, nah, I'm not going to go. I just, there's too much, you know, there's too much family having fun. And, you know, but then something inside of me said, you know, I cannot say no. Go ahead, send me the Uber. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as he's talking about the professionalism and training, which is very powerful. And to hear him, and then I go back to the trainings that I do and how I do them and why I do them. It just comes together all the trainings that i do i do with youth and i do with community and they're based on my family experience which you know my mama had eight kids and (laughs) it's just lots of aunts and uncles and a lot of youth and i learn from the youth and you know that training goes right back into the community you know listening to your professionalism and then you know listening to david and the latino community the needs from the latino community Mm -hmm. We could get into the professionalism, but it would be like speaking in another language and not just like plain English or just plain Spanish. It's like, you know, any other language but their own. Mm -hmm. Because when you talk about being healed and healing at the same time of training, you know, a lot of people, when we go back to the question, the passion, where that passion comes from, Mm -hmm. that's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. You know, when I talk about, you know, doing the victim services that's where it comes from you know where you see i speak english but the resources i didn't know about them when laura's mother was killed so we weren't able to help her that way i mean as a big family we came together and you know paid for all that needed Mm. but with laura you know the the mental resources or just get the counseling you know that was a struggle i mean yeah Mm. we could pay for it but You know, other families, when you start thinking about other families or right, you know, the families that came right after Laura Mm -hmm. and to navigate the services and to navigate the systems to get the services for them, that was hard. And that's, you know, that's how Laura kept growing. You know, joining Californians for Safety and Justice, that was another, you know, your father kept saying, Adela, you need to come. I'm like, I'm not going. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you need to come. I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then Vicky, you know, he brings out Vicky. Adela's like, you going? No. Are you? No. And then Aquila will call us. You two need to come. <laughs> I'm like, Vicky's like, I don't fly. <laughs> I said, Well, I don't care if I have to drive you. But that was part of the training, you know. Mm-hmm. That's a- accepting the training when you're in a community, you know, you're, you're doing the work down, you know. And I said, Okay, you know, we're going to go. But, you know, you talk about the landscape and then analyzing the landscape. You know, he talks about U visas. And it's even about that, you know, training the community to say, You know, I understand your son, you know, was killed. But do you know that you know, your son is bringing you a blessing. You know, there's, there's a U visa you could receive and the, there's benefits, there's resources, just like we were able to help you with the funeral service. Mm-hmm. You know, we there is trainings that we have to give these parents to accept the help. Mm-hmm. Um, the youth, mm-hmm. you know, training the youth to say, you know, you live in this neighborhood, but that does not mean that we cannot make changes in this neighborhood, you know, and training them, you know, step by step, you know, come on in, come into the park, and these are the small changes, small victories, but they are, they're trainings that, you know, make them accept that you can be a trainer. You can make changes in your community. And this is how it starts. Mm-hmm. So the trainings that Lauda does, they're really small or they start small and then they become a movement of their own. But to do that, I always call it, you have to disarm your mind mm. because our, our minds are, are programmed to say we're going to fail. If we live in South LA, we are armed to learn that we're going to fail. We're going to end up dead or we're going to end up in prison. Mm. So the first thing that we do when we have our youth is we're going to disarm your brain. You know, mm. we're going to disarm your mind to stop thinking that you cannot succeed. Mm-hmm. Once we disarm that, I go we're going to arm it with positive beliefs. You're going to we're going to take you out places where you think you cannot go. Mm. You know, I I remember Jerry, which, you know, rest in peace. But when we took him to the trainings that you would see, and he's like, wow, if I was driving by here, they'd probably chase me out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or, you know, with the home. I go, well, it depends on what you're doing. But just to know that he was in that training, he goes, Miss, you think I could come here? I go, yes, you can. Mm -hmm. You know, if that's what your dream is, yes. You know, go back to school. You know, we could help you. And, you know, that was one of his goals is to go Mm. back, you know, and, When he got caught up in something, he was in prison. And when he came out, you know, he was shot. Mm. Um, Like, I want to say a month after. But just to know that you train him just to believe that he could be there, you know, and he kept going to the youth group. You know, that right there is just all possibilities for them, you know. But you train his mind to be disarmed, to stop believing that you're going to be dead or you're not going to make it to where you want to go. That's part of the trainings that we do for the parents. You know, you could be an immigrant, but that does not mean that you cannot make changes. Mm-hmm. Back in 2012, going back, you know, we signed up so many people for the census that the numbers changed and the resources started coming there. You know, we have sidewalks where there was no sidewalks. Mm-hmm. We have um, handicap ramps where there was no handicap ramps. That's mm-hmm. right. I mean, we have a park that looked like an abandoned park. Mm-hmm. And now it's like the park board goes and has their meetings there because there's no graffiti at our park. Mm. The restrooms are clean and the kids take pride and joy at that park. Mm. So these are all changes that an immigrant community did, mm. you know, and, and a takes pride of it. And I mean, there's a lot of changes that that community alone has made. And, you know, there's a lot of other things that, you know, we have trained the community or, you know, I want to say the trainings can have a lot of different names and they come in a lot of different forms. And, you know, we have done a little bit of everything in a small community, but yet, you know, we have influenced from the South to the North. And, Mm -hmm. you know, being part of, you know, Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, the community has gotten to Sacramento and made a big impact.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Thank you for that. I mean... I feel like you already started to touch on one of the next questions, which is what has been something during the course of your work that has warmed your heart. Mm. So when you think about working with survivors, like uh-huh. have there been any moments that stand out to you that really warmed your heart?
4: Mm. Yeah, I think I'll do that. Um, <laughs> as I, for, first, I want to bring closure to the last question for me because, you know, I think that another important point that Commander Keel brought up was just creating capacity, right? And that's one of the reasons that we rolled out, you know, the building a network of leaders to win new safety priorities is that training that has that mm-hmm. landscape analysis. And Robert Rooks, our director at the time, when he was like, look— we only have funding for five years. If there's anything that we could leave behind, is capacity. Mm-hmm. So we have to roll out this training, right? Like mm-hmm. for people to think through and participate in their civic engagement. So I, I think that one of the things that has warmed my heart is is the actual tragedy of losing my brother and, and being able to reflect on what I wasn't able to do, like the being— um, you know, in a way, handicapped, right? Emotionally, spiritually, and and in so many ways, uh, when I lost my brother, Oscar, not knowing what to do, that with my brother, Gilbert, I kind of knew how to navigate a little bit, and I learned Uh through the process. But I think that it's an allegiance to love, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, is to say that this is where I will be, this is where I will care, and this is where I will learn to try to... allow people to care for me too. And I would have to look at my immediate family, you know, Um, you know, calling on, on their support, you know, their permission to use those experiences, the names of my brother, Oscar, my brother, Gilbert, in the process. And you, Adela, are the one that encouraged me to call them by their names, not just brothers, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and from there, I've, Mm -hmm remember to keep that in practice, right, to to elevate their names. And, and in their spirit, they've transformed so much, you know. They've transformed. They've brought about these policy changes like they're alive, you know. They and, are. And um, my imagination tells me that their children, at least for Gilbert, that they're very proud of my brother, you know. I can— even though my mom passed a couple of years ago, she unwillingly and then willingly like allowed herself to be photographed for like a, a piece that we had did uh, that was circulated in La Opinión and then another one later in, um, in another big print. And so these are the things that have manifested in that allegiance for, of love, right? That we can find a way to get to the other side of that tragedy and try to support other people. I mean, all the outside stuff and uh, the public, uh, you know, being able to be a part of this podcast—these are all just overpaid. You know, like these are <laughs> things that they're just overpaid. Me, mm-hmm. you know, even. Mm-hmm. But to see the focus inside the house is is really um, what has been important to me because I do not want to neglect my family. You know. Uh, in the process of doing this work, you know? So to me, that's what warms my heart.
6: Hmm.
2: I appreciate that.
6: Sister Ajella.
4: What warms my heart.
5: Family. Having Brian, which was Laura's four-year-old baby, which is my baby now, about to graduate from um, UC San Diego. Having Laura's babies call me grandma. Mm-hmm. And oh, um, oh, 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 oh. having my community, uh, Laura's community, still going and being able to be there for them, being that source that continues, you know, fueling the the community and being able to take that bus to CSSJ conference every year. It's like taking the moms on a small, short, little vacation and um, being able to go on that stage and yell out in Spanish, you know, be that Spanish voice that, you know, it just warms their heart, so that warms my heart. Mm. You know, just continue being mm-hmm. the Latino voice and the face that is not going to give up for them. And, you know, it keeps bringing them hope, you know, being that hope for them,
2: not giving up. That warms my heart. <laughs> it's so necessary. Thank you.
6: Good stuff. You know, with me is, uh, look, there's a big difference between an elder and an older. Mm. (laughs) And uh, fortunately, I can wear the title of elder because it was given to me uh, by so many that I serve. But watching this work, uh, when it was a moment, become a movement Mm. to now becoming an institution— That's what warms my heart because um, especially in marginalized communities, we are so people driven. Mm. And what happens time and time again, we get a leader that inspires us uh, with his or her perception, direction, et cetera. We buy into that. Uh, We build momentum. And then when that leader is removed from the process for whatever reason, uh, the system dies. So watching and understanding that so many other people that are in this work now of survival, uh, victims, and I don't uh, the only time I will say that I was a victim is a reminder uh, of now that I'm a victor. Mm. OK See, I build the capacity to be a victor from the fact that I was a victim. We learn very little from success, but so much from failure. And most of us that uh, were victims, uh, we have harnessed, we have used that victimhood to become effective uh, victors in terms of moving the process forward. You know, victors, uh, they don't make settlements in life. They make declarations. Mm. A declaration means that uh, you are demanded of yourself to make sure that you do whatever is necessary to make certain things happen. And to see our communities understand self-determination, self-reliance, and start uh, to truly control the narrative of our own trauma needs, wants, et cetera, that is truly a joy to me, Um, a personal joy Is to see how my children, my grown children, Mm. have seriously understood what the components of the sacrifice that I have put in for over 50 years Mm. uh, was, is, and what it's about. And to see them uh, embrace the concept of uh, the value of people, the value of life and take some of the uh, fundamentals, some of the continuums that I have put in place and work those continuums as they engage uh, people in their own sphere, that couldn't be a better high for me uh, to hear them articulate uh, the rationale and the need to assist and to help others, Mm. to watch them to be able to deal with their own trauma based on some of the tools that I was fortunate to be able to bring to the table, and to know more importantly— that at the end of the day, that there is going to be a foundation. Look, you don't choose leadership. Leadership chooses you. Hmm. And what you do with that leadership at the end of the day is going to leave a continuum of work in place. Uh, we forget time and time again, everything matters. We are all at this table for a reason. There is no consequence I would say consequence is God's way of staying anonymous he put us at this table for a reason and when we leave this table all of us are going to have grown because we would have benefited from each other's expertise knowledge wisdom and understanding and so if we can impart that and seeing that imparted seeing the diligence of all three of you uh, as an elder seeing uh, the type of momentum the type of wherewithal that uh, you and others like you are putting into moving this process forward it gives uh, individuals like myself hope that at the end of the day that we can hit that target that we can get those needs met and we can you know put those um, templates in place lastly I'm end on this you know in our communities uh, we die hard in the backyard, <laughs> and the rationale to that is is we usually die in our pain and our trauma, Ooh. and not being able to deal with this. I finally see some resiliency nets being created to where our people don't have to go like that. Our people can understand the trauma and uh, engage the trauma to hopefully we can negate that trauma to some of those coming behind us when we pass. Uh, so at the end of the day, day uh yeah that's that's the pain uh the pain antidote I should say the the hope antidote for me and and Mm. and why I feel so good about uh what I see in terms of what's going on out there
2: Mm. Ah, Shay, because that sounded like a prayer Mm.
6: (laughs) (laughs) we say a few of those too
4: I mean, we see, we, we you know, we've been talking about, like, intergenerational healing, and, and we kind of begin to understand what it feels like, right? Like, you yeah. being, you know, Akilah Sherrell's, yeah. you know, daughter and carrying that torch. You know, you gave a great example yourself, and I know I have, like, a nephew and, you know, and others— and
2: Shout out to Louise. Yeah, Louise, right? That
4: <laughs> big boy. <laughs> and then we see the unfortunate, you know, elements when that doesn't happen. You know, we saw the arrest of, you know, the the people that are being accused of of that rapper, right? It was like mm-hmm. a, a, a dad, a son, yeah. a stepmother, right? Yeah. We saw the shooting in, in the Inland Empire where it's like, again, a, a stepmom, a, mm-hmm. a son, a daughter, right? And it's like, oh, man, the... I mean, we could go on and on. So there's not enough of us out there yet, you know. So right. th- that's why I love, you know, kill's response around intergenerational healing and making this work, you know, sustainable, right? And we have a tough road ahead of us, but I'm I'm glad I'm on this team. You know, yes, I'm sir. definitely glad yes, I'm sir. on this team.
2: Yeah, I definitely feel it's a blessing um, to you know just even you know, have the honor of sitting at this table because I have learned so much from each one of you, like, in my path, in my journey. And it's like, it's been a gift of guidance, you know, in different ways from each one of you. So, (laughs) you know.
6: But I got to jump in there real quick, and I know Adela wants to jump in. But to your point of what you're saying, uh, you know, you've been blessed. Your Mm. father is a general that we all love. Mm -hmm. Me and Akilah go back, decades, and we always say we're locked at the hip. But that brother has been instrumental in laying so many foundational uh, pillars for so many to stand on. And as I talked about my daughter, I looked to you, and I see Akila, mm. I, I see your uncle, brother Dawu. Yeah. I know your grandmother personally. Mm. I love mm. her to death. Uh, and so this is what I think all of us, and, and Dave said it so well when he's talking about the intergenerational uh, component—not only of the trauma, but the intergenerational uh, lifting of the momentum,
5: mm. leadership.
6: Uh, this is outstanding. So uh, you know, just want to salute your father and your family because mm. you've been fortunate and blessed and I think we're the extended family uh, you know you're never too old to learn and you're never too young to teach mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so if I look at you, I'm expecting I can learn from you just like you learned from me, and I think I can speak for Adela, I think that's I can right. speak for Dave mm-hmm. in that capacity, and that's why we've stayed in the game as long as we have. You know, We're in a constant state, as I said earlier, of perfection. We're trying to create self-mastery. I'll say we'll never reach perfection, but the road to perfection is uh, excellence. Mm. And so if we can leave here uh, with putting those templates in place, uh, you know, we've done our job, because the only thing we're going leave is our signature, mm. Mm. the only thing we going to leave.
2: <laughs> We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors.
1: So, mark your calendar this Thursday, May 9th, for the NYX anniversary sale. Get 30% off all leak proof underwear, shapewear, activewear, and more. It only happens once a year at nix.com. That's K N I X.com. Don't miss this.
3: The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift. And danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry.
2: So, David, you had said that the spirit of our loved ones have been there every step of the way for the policy changes. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get out of here, I wanted to know if there are any um, particular policies that have changed that y'all want to lift
4: up. Yep. yep. Adela, you want to start with 580. that? 580. Yeah, SB. SB
5: 580. I mean, the okay. Trauma Recovery Centers. Yes. And, you know, um, I want to give a shout out to... Miracle Center, you know, it's so hard. And once again, you know, I'm going to uplift the Latino community because they have been left out so much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I say that God put me in this place or, you know, in this role because I need to continue on the mission for the Latino community, you know, I tried to move away because, you know, health issues or whatever it may be, Mm. but for some reason I keep getting pulled back in. SB 580 put in the trauma recovery centers all over. Well, not only California. Now they're all over another eight states, I believe, Mm -hmm. or something like that. But here in California, it's challenging when you try to find them for the Spanish community. Mm -hmm. Milagro or Miracle Center, they have actually been taking the people that have been challenging to find a mental health place. And they don't really ask questions. Mm. You know, as long as you have been a victim, you know, whatever it may be. I refer their name, and they're put together with someone that speaks Spanish, mm-hmm. and they have counseling. And, you know, they don't care if you're, you know, the family member of the person that, you know, was a victim. If you witnessed it, they take them on. Mm-hmm. So, and that's something hard. If you were, you know, part of the police shooting or whatever it may be, they take them on. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's, you know, they're actually a trauma recovery center where no questions asked about documentation or anything. They're helping people, which is what we need. Yeah. I will always be grateful to be part of 580. And, you know, there's other bills, of course, that have been there, but I'm just going to give them time. That is my bill that I'm always going to be grateful to have been active and take a role in. Hmm.
4: Yeah, for me it's definitely um SB five eighty, you know. Um the history behind SB five eighty was when we were doing a landscape analysis back then in two thousand and twelve, you know, Aquila and, and and Vicky, Vicky. And, and Adele and myself and others in the in the room and you know, we describe what is a trauma recovery center now, like what we need, right? Like we need we need a navigator, we need, you know, help right now. We need someone to walk us through, help us fill out. Like, you know, there's all the challenges that was just centered around accessing were constructed into this space and in a space where you could go and feel safe, right? And and there was this bill, SB five eighty, that had already lived and been vetoed by then Governor Schwarzenegger. and it was alive because the senator was still in office. Uh, Leno out of San Francisco at the time and the thing was that California was in a deficit except for victims compensation we had a surplus oh. so bill SB 580 took like two million or or dollars or so and proposed to be able to fund three uh, trauma recovery centers. Now we have like over 19 in the state of California, right? And and um, including some in LA and, and miracles is one of the ones that you're talking about over in the Harbor area, but it also services, you know, communities in South Central and others and stuff like that. But yeah, it just, you know, just to be able to do that kind of stuff and, and to know that so much, has unfolded from that, that there's a lot of other extensions that have been added, you know, like housing protection for DV survivors and and in, in, in people of gun violence, you know. I mean, there's like so many pieces that have been linked to, mm-hmm. to that seed, you know. So uh, that definitely has to be one of the proudest ones. And, you know, I mean, they, there's like 10 that just got signed into law this past Friday, you know, by the Governor Newsom.
2: Yes, that's what's up. (laughs) Good stuff.
6: Good stuff. Yeah, uh, 580 has definitely been one that we've supported. uh, But from our work, uh, we're working and have been for years on the development of uh, the municipal structure with a lot of organizations currently we're working with every town in mom's demand action mm-hmm. uh, legislative giants in terms of gun violence mm-hmm. we've created to uh, ongoing trauma um, resilience uh training courses with Blue Shield of uh, Southern California. Mm. Mm. We work with USC on a variety of fronts uh, in inducing the uh, trauma component out of that school as well as the Chicago School of Professional Mm. Psychology, Mm. Mm. where we train their grad students uh, and they're doing work internally. And, you know, one of our um, big movers and shakers Newark, Washington DC, Milwaukee, uh, Seattle, we've been able to establish regional safety hubs which mm. uh, augment the wellness centers. It's the same thing, the same concept, but the safety hubs specifically deal from the perspective of public safety and dealing with the uh, 4Gs, gun, gang group, and ghost violence, uh, etc. Mm. We're trying to get uh, those uh, saturated uh, in terms of the municipal structure, but we're just happy to get them up and running and we know the municipal uh, billing uh, for these things uh, is coming in the past so being that I'm a practitioner on the ground it's a little different in terms of how we navigate uh, but I support all the uh, the major push of the uh, major laws that have been pushed in place and you know our support of our whole team our whole network our national network Mm -hmm. uh, is always on board
4: yeah Mm -hmm.
2: thank you for that so that there's stuff that's happening, that has been happening on the local level, like city level, the state level, and then nationally. And so if you're looking to get into this movement, you're gonna have to get into the know, <laughs> you know?
5: <laughs>
2: because there's so many things that are changing and that need to change. So I, I was gonna give this statement and I wanted to um, see if you guys would tell me if it's true or false, and then what comments supporting survivors of crime in urban communities can lead to peace in the hood. Is that true, false, or what comments do y'all got?
4: I mean, it's obvious. <laughs> I mean, you know, the the it's true. I mean, the allegiance to love that I shared it's is um is evidence of that. You know, I grew up in the hood. I mean, when my brother Gilbert was murdered, um you know, I I remember speaking to the detective and he knew me from my days running around in the streets and and I remember looking at him and be like, "Hey, if you could help me find this person, I'm going to help you." Uh-huh. You know, and that was my allegiance to justice, but also my allegiance to love because I didn't want another family to go through what I knew my mom. And this is before me even telling my mom what had happened to my brother. This is like in the early morning. And um, so, yeah, it does, you know, because I didn't retaliate, you know, my family did not retaliate. Like, just like we talked about intergenerational healing and, and I mean, that was a beautiful conversation we were just having about how we are all kind of interconnected in one way mm-hmm. to another to, to that allegiance of love, of not looking for that violence and, and how that can grow and we could influence each other. I know within my home, at least from, you know, reaching out, that people don't deal with the trauma in in those hard moments. Mm -hmm. That's different, right? But that we're out there retaliating, that's, I definitely know that it didn't have to escalate beyond us working closely with law enforcement to make sure there was an arrest, you know? So it's true from my experience, you know? Mm
2: -hmm. Adela? True or false?
4: True.
5: True. (laughs) As Vicky would say, the mother has a power to stopping someone from retaliation. Mm. But in general, a victim could, you know, control a lot of the violence that goes in our community because, you know, a victim's touching their heart. And um, if you touch your heart, you won't retaliate. Um, retaliation a lot comes from the anger. Anger is connected to your heart, but it's more of an emotion that is a reaction And not when you're really touching your heart and thinking about what the action is going to react or what you know that domino effect is going to cause. So I think it's true because if you know if you see the pain that is causing your family, like David says, then you're not going to want that pain for other families. Mm. But if you react, then that initial is I want another family to feel the pain I'm feeling. Mm. But if you really touch your heart and see what that it is. You know, and I think it goes with if we have more trainings like um, Mm -hmm. the commander here does, then you're going to, you know, be more of your emotion and know that the reaction is not going to stop it, but it's only going to cost more pain. Mm
3: -hmm.
6: Yeah, I agree with both Adela and uh, Dave 1,000%. Uh, Let me give you the rationale from my thinking point. We have to be clear and understand that violence is an action. Mm. Violence is an action that is usually taken to meet a need or want.
4: Mm.
6: Now, if my need or want, as Adela says, is to eradicate that pain, why I usually choose violence? Because usually I have no other options. Mm. Okay, My external circle has always gotten results from violence and violence get immediate attention. Lastly, I'm usually, if I haven't left that community, I'm usually saturated with the mechanics of violence. Mm. So I'm going to use that action to usually meet a need and to eradicate some type of pain that Mm. I'm going through. Mm. Okay, so now if I have these healing centers, if I have uh, individuals who are versed uh, in victim services, trauma, mm. recovery, that can get me to the root cause mm. of why I chose to use the violence, uh, which was the inability to eradicate my pain, and they have the tools, we have the tools as uh, victim analysis, victim service, uh, engagers, et cetera, uh, to ease that pain It's going to ease the violence. It's going to make me consider taking other uh, actions because the pain is not so great violence usually comes when I'm at the wall and don't have any other option to be able to use and then when I use that violence I'm going to be extremely Fierce with that violence, I'm gonna bring it, uh, I'm gonna bring the beast of that violence to the table because I want to be heard. Nobody has helped me to relieve this pain, and I have no other option at that point. Mm-hmm. So, if we can get to that root cause, change that story, but As we move the process, and this is where it's so important to have systems and no one discipline thinking that controls the narrative, it's going to be a process. Once I ease that pain, I have to stabilize that. I have to make sure that that pain is not going to come back, hence retaliatorial violence engagement, because I stopped it in the moment, but I didn't create the ability for that individual, that community, that family uh, to really anchor that stabilization. So I'm going to go back to what worked for me, which is the violence. Mm. Mm. I've mm. got to break that repetitive cycle with something, and hence, wellness, recovery, uh, the eradication of that pain is going to hopefully break that circle. And I've seen it happen
5: thousands of times.
2: Mm. Mm. Yep,
5: Disarming your mind there yes. we and then go. arming it back with positives right. and tools.
2: Yes. Mm. I know. This has been so good, y'all. This is like food for the soul. And <laughs> so, um, you know, just to close, David, you gave us the allegiance to love. How do people find you and support your work?
4: Yeah, well, you know, I've worked with um, crime survivors for safety and justice. So um, our website is uh, org, right? But oftentimes you have to just kind of like write it down. But you know, you could find me that way. You know, you could, uh, I, I don't have I don't, like David dot, uh, <laughs> Instagram too, right? But you'll find me in a neighborhood near you, you know? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, right. sir.
4: I like that. <laughs> and
2: Adela, you've, you've brought us the need, the necessity of centering the healing for Latino communities. How do people find you and support your work?
5: Information at Laura.org. That's where you find Laura. Info at LauraLA.org.
2: Got it, got it. And to all all our listeners out there, uh, one of the first steps um, that we always create at the Reverence Project to ensure that uh, there's a proper introduction to supporting survivors of crime is to make sure that our youth read... The book Peace in the Hood, <laughs> which is co authored by Akil Bashur and Christina Hoag. Mm. Okay, so make sure you get that book. Make sure you Ooh. order it right now. Ooh. It's on Amazon. Okay, and it's it's not pricey either. So you know, but uh, Commander, um, <laughs> how yes. do people find you and support your work?
6: I like Dave saying, "I'm in a neighborhood near you." But, uh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Is that book in Spanish? <laughs> uh,
6: no, but
2: uh, oh, a it's coming,
5: good idea. <laughs>
6: Uh, real quickly, real, real easy to uh, get to buildprogram.org, one word, B-U-I-L-D program.org. And we're looking to bring peace in the hood, too, very soon, in Spanish, too. So. Yay! <laughs> All
2: right, so thank you guys so much for joining us. Any final words of peace, any final words of healing to leave the people?
5: Love, and thank you so much for Mm -hmm. allowing us to share our ideas, visions, and knowledge.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Survivors Heal. You know, I love it, you know, and thank you for having me on here. And, and, you know, I love to just remind people that it's through campaigns that we shift the narrative, right? So running right now is hashtag just safe— And it continues to call for the same stuff, you know, again, around sustainability, trauma recovery, substance abuse treatment, affordable housing, quality education, intervention and prevention, and health access, right? And that's one that is going to grow really quick uh, within the state of Cali, Cali Gold. So, you know, hashtag just safe, you know, And, and I think that it will continue to envelop everything that we've been doing for 10 years now, right? Hmm. 10 years, you know. uh, I mean, of course, more, but within the victim conversation of how we've been able to integrate, you know, the elements that come with it. And that was an amazing question you brought up. It's like, you know, uh, what was the last question she asked around? uh, (laughs) Yeah, that was a great question, though. It prompted, like, uh, uh, you know, the true falls around uh, intervention and and just the line of questions have been amazing to. To prompt, um, you know what we've been talking about, and you know, and the reason I brought up Just Safe is because it's a calling, right? Of what we need. We need resources. We need sustainable resources. We don't need a one-year, two-year grant. We need, we need investment. You know, like right now. You know. So thank you.
2: Yes, thank you.
6: Um, I'll leave uh, the listeners uh, on this: if service is below you, then leadership is beyond you. Mm done thank you for your outstanding hosting uh, sister queen <laughs> <laughs>
2: thank you that we're good we're done with that <laughs> that's so beautiful <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to the survivor's hill podcast join us next time as we talk with two ladies of faith one a survivor of polyvictimization victimization and the other, a social worker, administrator, and leader who has seen it all. Disclaimer, my views, beliefs, and opinions are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of my guests, resource organizations, or sources shared. Last thing, every day we survive is a new chance to seek healing. Peace to your journey, good people. Ashe.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.
4: slash iHeart.